how many of you studied a foreign language when in high school or maybe in college or something along those lines? Anybody? Has, has anybody maybe grown up speaking another language other than English? Yeah, we have some people, right, who, you know, uh, I don't know about you, I took, I took like, I don't know, it seemed like 12 years of Spanish. <laughs> it didn't do me a whole lot of good. <laughs> But it's neat when you come across those words that, that can't really be translated into English. And you really have to use a whole paragraph, you have to use a whole uh, uh, picture to demonstrate one word, right? And you know, usually we like to think that it's one of those romantic French words, you know, that just sounds so wonderful and it just means I love you in a way that words can't express, Right? And usually it means something crazy. It, and people are like, that has nothing to do with anything. But there are some words, some ideas that can't be translated. Actually, there, there's a Danish word. It's uh, huga. And if, if you have those origins, um, and I'm saying it wrong, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I really am. But it, it's something, huga is, is something that we want all the time, but seldom have. Really, the, the, uh, the picture that's used is Christmas. We would love to have it all the time, right? But we seldom have it. And kind of a, a more uh, uh, filled out definition is a complete absence of anything annoying, irritating, or emotionally overwhelming. And the presence of and pleasure from comforting, gentle, and soothing things. It's kind of like the ah moments in your life, right? Where things are just perfect. Things are just right. Well, this, this Danish word also has an idea attached to it that uh, their picture of Christmas is grilling Danish sausages on long summer evenings. Doesn't that just sound like that's what I want to do, right? But it's that idea of, man, just these moments. It's, it's almost like tasting heaven, right? Just a piece of what it's going to be like in heaven one day. You know, we all kind of have our definition of Hugo. And, and mine is actually going to be this Tuesday when uh, our girls will be officially adopted into the Collins family. And I, I couldn't go without telling you guys because, man, it's going to be awesome. But anyway, but this fruit of the Spirit that, that we're going to talk about today is a lot like that untranslatable word. I mean, yeah, we, we can use words that describe it, that, that really illustrate it, but there's something about it that just seems like I, I can't put my finger on it almost. You know, it, it's almost like uh, uh, it, we translate it, as, even here in Galatians chapter 5.22, as gentleness, and sometimes it's also translated as meekness, but it also has the idea of humility and of patience. And you know, each, each one of these words gives insight into it, but it doesn't seem to fully, I don't know, there's just something there. Uh, and God's word wants to kind of share with us what that idea of gentleness is all about. But really, it speaks, this word speaks of an underlying strength. And God's gentleness is strong enough to change lives in tangible ways. God's gentleness is strong enough to change lives in tangible ways. 
And we're going to see that it's such an important trait when it comes to our relationship with others. But first we want to see that gentleness or gentle strength follows Jesus. You know, the most uh, common and probably the clearest definition of this uh, Greek word uh, that we translate as gentleness is strength under control. You may have heard that uh, idea before when it comes to this, but, but if you haven't, think of it like this. Dads, when, when you play or when you wrestle with your kids, do you, you use all your power, all your strength against them? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I've seen some of your kids, right? And you do, right? There's just that aspect of, oh, don't hurt me, right? <laughs> but especially with young kids, right? When you're doing that wrestling and, and tackling and all those things, do you, like, give it your all? No, right? You hold back. You control. You provide a little bit of gentleness in that situation. There's a, a, a natural element to that holding back, that gentleness, uh, and that underlying strength. Uh, Aristotle, he not exactly, like, inspired, right? This isn't a guy I would go to all the time for, for my wisdom, but he was a pretty smart guy sometimes. And he gives us insight as a Greek thinker because this is a Greek word that we're uh, talking about. And, and he gives us insight into the meaning of this idea of meekness. He says it's a mean or a center point between extremes of anger and indifference. You see, there's a balance of, uh, in that strength of I'm not letting it go here, but there is a strength. I'm not letting myself be indifferent. I'm not allowing that, um, that character to be a part of my life. And this kind of gentleness is a quality of a person who is always angry at the right time and never at the wrong time. <laughs> always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. And you know, Jesus demonstrated that in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 a week before his death, Jesus made what is called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a picture of a king coming to his people. Look at verse 5. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. When he entered the, the city of Jerusalem amid fanfare and, and palm branches. And, and those palm branches were actually uh, uh, signals that victory was near. They were a, a, a way that, that was a visual demonstration of victory. And so they were laid down in front of Jesus, uh, in front of his path as he came into the city. And the people were so excited about the victory that they knew was coming. But it was a different type of victory than many were looking for. You know, this idea of an entry isn't a new idea, right? We talk about people making an entrance, right? People making an impact. And, and really, for this time, there were others. Uh, there were people who were rising up against Rome and saying, you know what, this isn't right. They're not treating us right. We shouldn't be in this place. We should be rulers. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to rise up and we're going to take over. We're going to have our own nation, our own place a place where we belong. And that was kind of the, the idea that many would come into the city with. You know what they'd be riding on? 
a big old horse, right? It was a demonstration. It was a show. I have power behind me. I have strength. Trust me, I got this covered. We'll take him down with my lead, right? But Jesus, he didn't enter Jerusalem on a stallion. He rode in on a donkey. (laughs) That's quite a different image, isn't it? This stubborn beast, this, this common animal, not a symbol of elegance or power or strength. And he came to them with gentleness. He was demonstrating that God's strength comes in meekness, in gentleness, and that God's strength doesn't need fanfare or recognition. You know, what an example that he gave to us as he came through. I mean, he had a purpose. He had a goal in mind, right? He was going to the cross. He was bringing about victory for all of us. And yet, he wasn't making a big deal out of it. He wasn't saying, look at me. Aren't I doing an amazing thing right now? He says, no. I came to serve. But there is such strength in that statement because he is God. Look at verse 12. You know, as we see that example of of meekness, that example of strength, if we stop there, we'd say, wow, that's, that's pretty good. But in verse 12, right after this entry, it says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. You know, what happened to gentle Jesus, right? Jesus came into a place and he said, Get out! What are you doing? Right? But think about this. As Jesus entered into a temple, into a place where people were supposed to be able to find God, where they were supposed to be able to worship. Instead of that, there was a barrier. There were people who were getting in the way of that opportunity to worship. And not only that, they were ripping them off. Those who had come from far near, they were saying, you know what, this just isn't going to work for God. God's not really thrilled about this. Why don't you try this? It's a little more expensive, but it's, it's really nice, right? And Jesus was saying, and and he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers, of thieves. And I would submit to you that Jesus was holding back. (laughs) This is God. You know, he could have brought eternal judgment right then and there. And he could have said, okay, that's it. We're done here. Life is over. You're going to have to stand before God Almighty. You're going to have to stand before me and make an account of your life. But he understood the seriousness, the weight, and he couldn't ignore it. He couldn't just let it go. There was a, there's an aspect of gentleness that, that sees those who are being ripped off or those who are being taken advantage of and says, you know what? No, that's not going to happen. I'll take care of you. I'll come in. I'll be what God wants to be in your life. I'll demonstrate gentleness. And you, right, you better watch out. 
And then in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus sets the greatest example of gentle strength. He says in verse 5, Paul writes in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Jesus Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, the, the verse says, Jesus was God. But Jesus didn't go around saying, you better recognize me as God. You better recognize me as God. You better worship me. You better give me the authority in your life. He challenged people, didn't he? But he never demanded and, and uh, overwhelmed people with who he was. He wasn't trying to prove himself. He knew who he was. Then in verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, he didn't assert his authority. He didn't say, don't you know who I am? He wasn't interested in proving himself. He was interested in saving the very ones who would crucify him. He was interested. He had a goal to accomplish. And his gentle strength brought it about. His, uh, his ability to say, you know what, for a time, I'm not going to make this a big deal. And they said to him on the cross, if you're God, come down off that cross. Show it. Could he? Yeah. It wasn't a problem for him. He wasn't saying, oh, I don't know if I can. But did he? No. Because he wanted to take the punishment for my sins and bring about an ultimate victory. And that's what gentleness is about. It's about putting aside or holding back so that his goal can be accomplished in my life and in the lives of others takes great strength to show gentleness and meekness and humility. And he challenges us in Matthew 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke, my teachings, my, my example. Take it upon you and learn from me. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is our example. And he remained calm and focused even as he faced abuse. Aren't there times in our lives where we need to be calm and focused even in the face of abuse? He was not focused on himself, but on others. And he gave us this example as we share this message with others because he's given us a message. He's given us a purpose to fulfill and he says, do it with gentle strength. He has given us gentle strength that tells others. Turn over to, to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Have you ever heard of the term apologetics? Apologetics. It, typically, it's, it's a systematic defense of a position, of, of what you believe. It's often used as a way of defending your faith. But unfortunately, some people see apologetics as a way to prove that I'm right. <laughs> 
that I have the right answer and you don't, so there. Right? I've gathered all the information. I'm going to use it against you and I'm going to make you look foolish. It's an excuse to elevate me. Now that's not what apologetics is. (laughs) But from Christ's example, that idea doesn't fit, does it? That idea of I'm right, you're wrong, doesn't fit in his word. But a gentle and true apologetic is what can lead someone to trust Jesus. Someone who's never done that before. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify, but set apart. It's almost a sense of know him inside and out. Make him special. Just adore him. Figure him out. Make him the pursuit of your life. Sanctify him. Set him apart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense, or or more properly, to give an explanation. To make a defense to everyone who asks. Excuse me. (laughs) Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And we often stop there. But the end of that verse says, yet with gentleness and reverence or fear. He says, listen, know what you believe about God and why. And, and don't base it on, well, I think God is this way. Well, because I think that God is this way. That he wouldn't do that. Or this is what he would do. Base it on his word. And that's where apologetics comes in, right? Know what you believe and why. But his gentleness focuses first on ourselves. It's that, that part of sanctifying, that, that part of sanctifying Christ in our lives. And as a part of making him special or a, a focal point in our lives. As a part of your growth in Christ, it's almost an examination, a, a, a lifelong pursuit, right? Growing to be like Christ is essential as we share his message with gentleness. We can never say, okay, I'm done, now I'm going to tell you. No, it's, hey, I'm with you. This is what God has shown me. And second, his gentleness focuses on the overflow. It says, when others ask of you, when, when others want to know, what's, why, why are you different? What's going on in your life? Why can you have peace in the middle of of trouble, in the middle of conflict. Why are you showing kindness, right? Some of, the, some, some of the other fruits of the Spirit that we've talked about. Why is that true in your life? And you can share with them why it's true. Not because of anything that I've done, not because I'm amazing, but because He's done it for me. And it's an invitation. This, this strong gentleness is, a, is an invitation It says, I'm learning and following after him. Will you come with me on the journey? You know, when Paul came to tell the Corinthians about Christ for the first time, you you can see what he has to say in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he tells them, I wasn't trying to be a scholar. I wasn't trying to be the smartest man on the block. I wasn't trying to uh, be accepted for my wisdom. I I, I didn't want you to be convinced because I was convincing. 
I didn't want you to see strength in me and think that it was my own. I said, I didn't want you to follow Christ because I said the right things. And he says in verse 2, I had one purpose, I had one goal, and that was to share what Christ would do on your behalf. And let the Holy Spirit work in your life. It says, for I determined, in verse 2 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That I had one thing I want to share with you. I want you to wipe away all the other things. Let's focus here. And it's not to say that, that there's not more that God wants to grow us and teach us. But as he was introducing Christ to them, he said, this is really what you need to know. This is what God has done in my life. It's important to know what you believe and it's essential to be able to handle God's word. But our focus should be on others, not about showing our uh, knowledge and wisdom. And gentle strength is the best way for others to hear about Christ. Because its foundation is in the love that God has, that agape love that we talked about uh, several weeks ago. It's not concerned about being heard, but it's concerned about how can I help someone discover the treasure of Jesus? And it's so important as we live our lives that we show the humility of the Lord without losing the power of a life-changing gospel. Do you know that there is such strength in the good news? There is such strength in what God has to share, uh, uh, what God has done on our behalf, and what we get to share. There is power in that. It's not our power. In our relationships, a gentle strength helps us share his story. But it also helps, uh, gentle strength uh, relieves conflict. I didn't say resolves conflict, right? Resolves is like, it's done, it's over. But gentle strength relieves conflict. It takes some of that pressure off. Conflict tends to be a part of our lives, doesn't it? There's different reasons for it. Really, it's centered around uh, sin and that we live in a fallen world. And there's continually conflict in our lives and, and in our relationships. You know, some can be petty and selfish and we look at it and go, come on, that was silly, you know? Why, why was I arguing about that or, or what was going on with that? But others can be weighty and long-lasting, can't they? Others can be much more substantial, much more... Uh, um, life-changing. And as much as we hate to admit it, it can sometimes happen in the church too, can it? Conflict with one another. Conflict in our relationships. And last week, we talked a little bit about the role that believers play in each other's lives. How we are uh, a family together. We're supposed to be looking out, watching over each other. We're supposed to be stirring up love and good works in each other. But part of that role is also to relieve conflict through gentle strength. You know, God has called us to unity. God has called us to oneness. God has called us to be on the same page together. And God's desire is that those conflicts be made right. So if you're involved in a conflict right now, whether you're on the right side or the wrong side, whether you think you're on the right side or whether you think you're on the wrong side, there needs to be an attitude of gentleness 
There needs to be an attitude of humility that can bring peace to a situation. You know, none of us like to admit that we're the problem in the conflict, right? None of us likes to say, yep, that was me. But let's acknowledge that. As, as we want to see conflicts resolved and, and conflicts relieved, let's acknowledge our part in it. Are you ever wrong? <laughs> Do you ever let sin show up in your life? Has sin ever affected others? Has your sin affected others? Do you ever allow sin to blind you so that you don't even know, you don't even recognize that sin is in your life? Do we ever do that? Am I the only one who's done this? I don't know. I feel a little alone right now. And uh, <laughs> We all do, right? We're not perfect people. And that's why we needed a Savior, right? So understand that it's possible that I might be the core of the conflict. I might be the problem in this situation. And being open to that is, the only possible, is only possible through gentle strength, through th- this humility, through this patience, through this uh, openness to, Lord, I'm, I'm not perfect. It's an incredible tool to help us to see our part. You know, because we can get off course quickly. You know, we can, we can uh, try to correct, we can try to help, we can try to restore others by our own devices, by our own methods, and it doesn't really work. And we never really state these, these motives, but uh, a lot of times, even when we don't recognize them, others might see them. Our motives sometimes are out of bitterness, out of jealousy, out of self-righteousness, out of harboring hate or gossip or self-proclamation or self-promotion or about being right. You know, those are the motives that, that we can say, you're the problem, not me, right? And maybe, just maybe, you aren't the problem in the conflict. But without his gentle strength, we can't respond well at all. Look at Paul's instruction to Timothy in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. As Paul is speaking about conflict and accusations in the church, he writes, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. He says, don't go about boasting about your rightness in the matter. <laughs> he says, go in saying, with gentleness and with patience, even when you are the one who's wronged. And what's the purpose? Why? <laughs> It says, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. If they're wrong, God is going to do that work in their life through your gentle strength. When, when they see demonstrated uh, the gentle strength of Christ, 
says, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Even if the person in the conflict is dead wrong and needs complete repentance, says, even to the extremes, the only way to accomplish the rescue mission is through his gentle strength. So how can we pursue peace in the middle of conflict without us getting in the way? Here's just a couple things. One, trust that God's Spirit is at work in their lives just as much as He is in yours. You know, especially as believers together, when there's conflict among us, understand that the Holy Spirit who you say lives inside of you and who is changing you and doing a work in your life He's doing that same thing in the life of the person you're in conflict with. A lot of times we like to say, well, I'm right with God, but they're not. Let His Spirit do that work. You aren't the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do what only He can do, right? Understand your role in their lives as an encourager, as a strengthener. As, not as one who knows, but as one who, who is depending on God and His Word to resolve the conflict. And know that anger and frustration is more harmful to a difficult situation. It causes more of, of an entrenched feeling, right? Of saying, no, I'm not even going near trying to resolve that conflict because of your attitude, Right? But also, allow God's Word to be the primary corrector. Allow God's Word to be the primary corrector. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now notice, again, that passage talks about God's Word in my life right? Correcting me. I need to be in a place where I'm allowing God to work in me, to work in my situation, to work in the place that I'm lacking. But also, as we, as we seek to uh, bring a resolution or, or to relieve some of that conflict between you and another, let God's Word do the talking. It's not about what you have to say, it's about what God's Word has to say. He's going to change you in the middle of it. And then also, not only do we trust God's Spirit to do His work, and not only do we allow God's work, uh, Word to be the primary corrector, we need to remain humble. Remember, Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He gave up position and authority that was rightfully His. Right? Right? He didn't have to. He could have, he could have proclaimed uh, just His majesty and shown and demonstrated all of that, and He did in certain ways, but, but He could have just overwhelmed us, right? But He said, you know what? I have something more that I want to do in your life. He gave up His position and authority. He gave up comfortable. He gave up uh, continual praise he, so that your conflict with God could be ended. And he never did anything wrong. 
I wish I could say the same thing about me. So even uh, when you know Scripture, it's not uh, a tool to beat down or to spout in arrogance. It's a tool to be shared in gentleness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse, verse 3, when dealing with another person, with sin in, an, in another person's life, concern yourself with the plank that's in your eye before you try to get the sawdust out of somebody else's eye, right? We must speak word, every word understanding that we are just as vulnerable. As we seek to make resolution, as we seek to make things right, know that if we are, could be in a place of sin as well, or we could, are just as vulnerable to falling to that sin as they are. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Not in a spirit of, ah, got you now, I proved it. In a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Look at your own life. Look at your own heart. Allow God to work in that area of your life. We must speak out of concern for others, not out of concern for being heard, right? God's gentle strength is a part of your life as a believer. It's evidence that God is doing something. So when you see this, you may, you may even say, you know what, I didn't even know where that came from, right? I, I, my reaction would have been different. But God did something through me. It will impact the lives of those around you. It will follow Christ's example. It will tell others and it will relieve conflict in your life and in the lives of those around you. Let his gentleness be a part of the fruit that is demonstrated in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight and and we recognize our own weakness we recognize that we are not strong. And Lord, we recognize that you are the only one who provides strength. And Lord, as we do that, as we show that to others, may your gentleness be demonstrated in our relationship with others. As we share with others about Christ, as we share what you've done in our lives, let it be done with gentleness. Lord, as we, as we uh, relieve conflict in our lives, as, as we seek to, to resolve those situations, even in our church family, Lord, that you would always allow us to do that with gentleness. 